Good morning. It's Thursday, the 20th of July, and I'm Govind Rajayathi Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital, and what feels like the most rained out city in the world right now. Our top themes and reports for the day the Tatas are to build a 40 gigawatt hour battery cell factory, though, in the United Kingdom. India's mixed bag of corporate performance with a shadow of a slowdown. Indians are totally in love with utility vehicles as it becomes 55% of passenger vehicle sales. The Reliance Group is back in finance again, led by Mukesh Ambani and with much more gusto. This is a call report with Govindraj Ethiraj. The Tata set up a battery factory in the United Kingdom. I remember interviewing Ratan Tata of the Tata Group on Going Global. This was in the mid-2000s. And most Indian business houses were looking to acquire internationally as they did. A strong rupee hovering in the 40 rupees to a dollar, of course, helped. The Tata Group bought into steel, automobiles, beverages and many other businesses, as did others from India, large and small. All major brands and to its credit has digested most, if not all, of what it acquired, which may not have been the case with some other companies. Ratan Tata's mood in that interview was expansive and he spoke of the global opportunities that were opening up and how Indian companies were proudly venturing into areas not ventured before. Now, the last decade, as we all know, has seen a different mood. The focus has been about the domestic market and opportunities herein. Businessmen may leave the country for tax and other reasons, but the businesses are very much here for all the obvious reasons we speak about almost every day. The Tata Group's announcement yesterday of a $5.2 billion or £4 billion electric car battery factory in the United Kingdom, making it one of the largest ever investments in the UK automotive sector, is a looking back or a looking forward of sorts, depending on how you see it. The factory at 40 gigawatt hour is set to create up to 4,000 new direct jobs, several thousand indirect jobs, and could provide almost half the batteries the United Kingdom requires by 2030. This is the Tata Group's first gigafactory outside India. It will supply Jaguar Land Rover's future battery electric models, including the Range Rover, Defender, Discovery and Jaguar, with the potential to also supply other car manufacturers. And of course, if you had forgotten, Jaguar Land Rover belongs to Tata Motors. Production at the new gigafactory is due to start in 2026. This will be one of the largest ever investments in the UK automotive sector. It will not only create thousands of skilled jobs for Britons around the country, but it will also strengthen our lead in the global transition to electric vehicles, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said. The Gigafactory will produce battery cells and packs for a variety of applications within the mobility and energy sectors, the statement said. Well, we will talk about the opportunities for India and its Gigafactory ambitions, but that will be in a later episode. Moving on to Indian industry, which is fighting a slowdown of sorts. Revenue growth has slowed for the fourth consecutive quarter or a year now. It's the pace of growth and not the growth itself which is estimated to have slowed down to between 6 to 8% in the first quarter of the current financial year 23-24, according to estimates from rating agency Crystal Market Intelligence. Growth slowed down, Crystal said, because of a fall in realizations and also a high base of the corresponding year-ago quarter. A reminder that we are now well past COVID-19 and the post-COVID demand surge that many businesses and sectors saw and benefited from. Notably, Crystal says that of the 47 sectors and over 300 companies they track, 14 showed a slowdown in growth in revenue, while 15 saw moderation. 
The overall prognosis for the rest of the year seems steady with revenues projected to grow 10 to 12%, which is of course good. This is of course despite a slowdown in major economies like North America and the eurozone and the interest rate hikes there. What's working for India is India and its domestic consumption. There are some interesting give or take scenarios. For example, take aluminum whose prices have fallen globally reducing the input costs for many manufacturers who use this metal as a raw material and thus helped improve their margins. This has also meant that a company that manufactures aluminum has seen its bottom line get affected as it has to now match lower prices. Crystal says revenue of aluminum makers declined by a sharp 14 to 16% year on year on account of a 18 to 20% fall in domestic prices and modest growth in volumes. It's the same story roughly for steel makers whose revenue is estimated to have decreased 7 to 9% on year on account of a sharp price fall. What makes up of course is export led industries like IT services whose revenue is estimated to have increased 14 to 16% year on year. So what more can we take away from these insights as we take a much higher birds eye view of the economy and business or at least try and what is the near term looking like to discuss this i'm joined by aniket dani a director of research at the rating agency crisil there are two factors that are driving the overall growth uh, the first is the higher base of last fiscal which is june 2022 and the second factor is differentiated growth between the domestic market and the export markets so if you look at sectoral split some of the sectors which have fared poorly would be metals export linked consumer discretionary products and industrial commodities the sectors which have grown well or have supported the increase in growth are automobile cement power consumer discretionary product services and within these automobiles has clocked a 15% growth on account of volume as well as price hikes taken by players the cement sector has seen 8% growth and the retail and hospitality sectors have seen about 16 and 12% growth respectively but one thing uh, we need to be careful about is that for retail and hospitality sector uh, we feel that the demand could see some normalized growth going forward because of the base which has been built up last year on account of supernatural pent up demand so aniket what's the broader takeaway from this so this is a bunch of industries uh, some which are doing well some which are not and obviously there is some covid effect in a positive way for let's say uh, sectors like hospitality if we were to go a few layers above how does it look like or rather what are you seeing if you look at sectors which are either commodity dependent where we are price takers like example steel or aluminum because the commodity prices are going down the sector revenue growth has been impacted for export related sectors if you look at the slowdown in global economies which is the major uh, exporting countries like us eu the slowdown there has impacted growth but all sectors which are domestic dependent or dependent on domestic demand have been able to perform well because of the recovery that we have seen Okay so but that is not making up for the aggregate which is why things are still slowing down that's what you're saying yes now you talked about aluminum and steel and so on and and prices there are falling which is good for those who are using them as inputs but bad for those who are manufacturing them how does that reflect in your pool to just take an example of aluminum we have seen that global aluminum prices have fallen by about 18 to 20% and since we are price takers or global commodity prices are 
equally reflected in the domestic market. Domestic prices have also fallen by about similar uh, 18 to 20%. Now, this fall of 18 to 20% has been mainly on account of two factors. One is low demand but healthy supply from China. And the second is slowdown in major economies. Now, because of this uh, drop in prices as well as threat of cheaper imports, Indian players or Indian aluminium players have seen their realizations go down. And with lower export demand, and we are almost exporting about half of the production, aluminium production, the volume growth also has been restricted for Indian companies. So it has been a twin impact, prices as well as volume growth. Would that apply to steel as well, broadly? Yes. Okay. And uh, the other point was that the lowering input costs was also helping companies post better results because they were uh, able to post higher margins or they were able to produce better margins, which in turn, of course, is keeping the stock markets happy. So without getting into the stock market part of it, how are you seeing the margins part of it? So if you look at overall margins, uh, we feel margins should slightly improve, not too much. But we'll have to check how the price decline in commodities and other you know, input costs uh, stays over the future full one year to see the whole impact on margins. But we feel that the margin improvement might not be very strong going forward. Okay, last question, Aniket. So how are you looking in the near future, which is the next year or so, and also in the context of exports which are now falling because of both slowing US and Eurozone? Overall, what we see is that with inflation coming down, at least in the domestic market, we feel that a demand recovery should sustain. So domestic market, uh, we feel that a growth would be there. In global terms also, what we have seen is that because of the slowdown in US as well as Eurozone, exports had been impacted over the past few months. But our expectation is that going forward, we will see some recovery in Euro and US towards the end of fiscal 24. And that is where we are optimistic that some demand growth in terms of export will also start to recover towards the end of fiscal 24. Right, Aniket, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Gohan. From a macro view to automobiles. India's car sales are doing well, but it is turning out that you may not be able to call them that anymore because almost 55% of car sales are actually utility vehicle sales. In case you're wondering how we define it, utility vehicles are brands like Tata Nexon, Hyundai Creta, Maruti Ertiga and Maruti Brezza, which are also the largest selling utility vehicle models in the last year. Mahindra, by the way, has five models in this segment. Passenger cars are typically sedans and hatchbacks as you would have seen and used. This trend is not new. India has had a growing fascination for utility vehicles in recent years and manufacturers are responding to this in every possible shape, size and brand of car possible. Not surprisingly, sales of utility vehicles have been creeping up in numbers versus cars for a couple of years, but it is now that they are setting it a clear majority. And it is demand and supply led because consumers prefer utility vehicles for, well, the utility of them and a sense of security because of their relative size and boxy nature, while manufacturers are turning out more and more of them in as many variations of the same model. While passenger vehicle sales numbers are strong, two-wheeler and commercial vehicle numbers are not so encouraging. Commercial vehicles actually have to still catch up with pre-COVID peaks, also an indicator of the overall state of the economy 
at least from a mobility and logistics point of view. Most manufacturers, meanwhile, continue to ramp up production of utility vehicles and everyone is also waiting to see how the electric car market shapes up. To get a sense on where the passenger vehicle or for that matter the automotive sector is going and the consumer choices they reflect as well as the near-term outlook, I caught up with Rajesh Menon, Director General of the Society of Indian Automobile Manufacturers in Delhi, the body that represents all the major car makers and began by asking him how he was seeing the car landscape and growth. So if you look at the quarter one of this financial year overall domestic sales number, what we see is that passenger vehicles is not what the trend which we have been seeing for the last few quarters. It continues. The passenger vehicles is seeing the highest ever domestic sales compared to the quarters of previous financial years. It's around 9.96 lakhs. In fact, last financial year, it was 9.10 lakh. It is the highest ever domestic sales if you compare quarter one of the previous financial year. So that's the trend which we have been observing for the last few quarters. The other segment which is also doing pretty good is commercial vehicles. Commercial vehicles is still behind but very close to the previous peak of 2018-19. So it is again seeing a pretty good demand, so very close to the previous peak. So what we say is that passenger vehicles is now hitting a new peak and commercial vehicles is coming very close to the previous peak of 2018-19. Two-wheelers is, is picking up quite a bit vis-a-vis the last uh, two financial years, but it is still behind pre-COVID years and same is the case of three-wheelers. So those two segments are picking up vis-a-vis the last financial year, but it is definitely still behind pre-COVID year, so it's still on the recovery path. Okay, and uh, I'm, I'm going to come to electric in a moment, but within passenger vehicles, that's cars and sedans and other utility vehicles and so on, what's happening there? So three years back, we used to see a very larger proportion of the sales, domestic sales being what we call passenger cars. But now what we've seen, the trend is changing. And now, uh, since the last few quarters, utility vehicles is now constituting 54.9% of the overall passenger vehicle market. So it is clearly a trend is going more and more towards utility vehicles. So it's like 54.9% of the overall passenger vehicle domestic sales market. So it's not technically passenger cars anymore. You're saying it's really a utility vehicle, predominantly at least. So under passenger vehicles, utility vehicles is much higher share compared to a passenger car in the PV sector. And how much of this, in a very broad sense, is supply-led or demand-driven? It's largely demand-driven. Supply was a bit of a constraint a couple of uh, quarters back, but it's now not that a constraint, but it's largely demand-driven. I think customers are wanting such products, and you will see many new models being brought in the market, aligning with those demands. And uh, let's touch upon electric for a moment, and I'll then come to two-wheelers. So, in the electric space, uh, what are the big trends that you're seeing, both in cars and two-wheelers? See, electric space, if you look at uh, passenger vehicles, that is PVs, it's still very low. I think, in fact, it's roughly just 2% in the month of May. If you look at share of EV in passenger vehicle segment, it nearly touched 2% in the month of May. And in June, it was 1.99%. So it's around 9, 2% figure if you look at share of EV in PV segment. But if you look at two-wheeler, in fact, it peaked uh, in the month of May. It went up to roughly 7%. But it came down in the month of June to 3.6% because of the new uh, fame subsidy guidelines, which is because of which the fame subsidy has been ready. Therefore, the vehicle prices have gone up. But it was averaging around 5%. In the last financial year, it was around 4%. And the, this financial year was averaging around 5%. It peaked in 7% because of this last 10 days of the month of May. So pre-buy. Uh, but it has not dropped in the June. But July figure is looking quite good. So I think we will be around a figure of between 5 to 7% in the case of two-wheelers. Slightly too early to comment on exact numbers, but July, we see a bit of a recovery pack. So let's see where it stabilizes. But in the case of three-wheeler, 
if you include e-rickshaw, then you're nearly touching 50%. So you're saying 50% of three-wheelers are now electric? 50% of three-wheelers are now electric if you include e-rickshaws. If you don't include e-rickshaws, the percentage comes to around 11 to 12%. So what is the difference between an e-rickshaw and a three-wheeler in, in that? There is There are different categories called L5, which is the conventional three-wheelers which you, which you were used to earlier. E-rickshaws are the ones which are being used for last-mile mobility near the metro stations and all. So those are in plenty of number. There are different types of regulations including governing them. That's called e-rickshaws. And of course, L5 is what conventionally we count. Right. And it's interesting that you say uh, you're seeing a turnaround or a likely turnaround in electric two-wheelers in July because uh, obviously the prices had gone up by anywhere between twenty and 40000 for those electric two-wheelers. So are you saying that people are absorbing the prices or are manufacturers not passing them on? Well, look, vehicle prices have gone up. So right? manufacturers have passed on uh, the price of consumer. Let's see. I think it's slightly early. It's just still 10 days more to go to the month to get over. But the initial tweet is that uh, it will be better than what we saw in June. June. June, we saw a tip. So we probably are expecting a little bit better sales in the month of June. Let's see how it, where it ends. And uh, in a very broad sense, uh, Rajesh, this is my last question. Uh, monsoons are obviously upon us now and perhaps with much greater intensity than what we thought it would be. Even seasonally, how is that affecting or not affecting sales of everything? No, I think it's giving us a little more optimism because I think Google sales is a huge impact on the rural economy. So uh, we are expecting that rural demand will pick up much stronger compared to the previous quarters, which will help two-wheelers to stage a faster recovery and move back to the pre-COVID numbers. So from a two-wheeler perspective, it will make a big difference. So we are quite hopeful of that. And of course, from an overall economy perspective, the economy, if uh, it benefits from a good monsoon, it will definitely reflect in the overall demand for the all segments of, of industry. Right, Rajesh, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And Reliance spins off a finance company. Will you raise debt for expansion? I once asked Bajaj Auto founder Rahul Bajaj during a television interview some years ago. The question was somewhat relevant at the time because many other business houses were going through various debt-led financial struggles. Now that of course has been the story for decades, except maybe in the last few years. I have never done it and will never do it, he told me. Look at our balance sheet. We have money to start a bank if we want. Why would we take debt? Turns out that a year or two later, he did start a bank. Though not exactly a bank, but a non-bank finance company as he ventured aggressively into financial services with Bajaj Finserv, which was demerged from Bajaj Auto in 2007 and went on to hold the group's businesses in retail finance, insurance, among others. The business was also taken over by younger son Sanjeev Bajaj, while Rajiv Bajaj continued to run Bajaj Auto. Now to another sibling story. Dhirubhai Ambani, the founder of Reliance Industries, died in July 2002, which led to a bitter battle between his sons Mukesh and Anil Ambani. The former took over as chairman of the group and Dhirubhai, by the way, did not leave a will. Over time, the fortunes of these two brothers and their companies have gone in wildly different directions. So much so that elder brother Mukesh has pretty much got back into each of these businesses younger brother Anil got in the separation, which was electricity, telecoms and financial services, except for electricity, so far. In telecoms and entertainment, which younger brother Anil also ran via investments in film production, radio and television, Mukesh has come in with much larger scale and vision as we all have seen and perhaps are already watching and experiencing. Reliance Geo, the telecom company, was essentially set up again and over, including fresh fiber optic networks across the country from the original Reliance Infocom or Reliance Telecom. Energy, which included Mumbai's power company BSES, was sold to Adani almost in the nick of time. 
Almost all of Anil Ambani's businesses are in bankruptcy, including Reliance Capital, whose board was superseded by the Reserve Bank of India in November 2021 and who appointed an administrator and a committee to run the company. Reliance Capital, by the way, was set up in 1986 and owns several arms, including Reliance Nippon Life Insurance and Reliance General Insurance. Which brings us to the last major move, if one may call it that, by elder brother Mukesh on Anil. financial services the last act which will play out in the form of geo financial services which is getting demerged from its parent reliance industries shareholders of reliance industries will get shares of geo financial services which was ceded within reliance industries and the record date for this was yesterday some 3.6 million reliance shareholders will get one share of geo financial for every share of reliance geo financial will even have a special pre open session this morning between 9 and 10 am on the stock exchanges geo financial or jfsl has been valued at over 100000 crore rupee mark brokerage estimates for jfsl vary between 160 to 190 rupees per share geo financial is a pretty wide offering of financial services products but with a likely greater focus on payment solutions and products linked to the rest of its retail and consumer businesses this perhaps would bring to an end of a long saga in sibling rivalry and separation of businesses that began effectively in 2002 and is ending now that's it for me for today have a great day ahead and do stay in touch via our website and newsletter on www.thecore.in bye for now This was the core report with me Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you. including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector write to us at feedback@thecore.in at thank you for listening